I'm John Lewis, and you're listening to 360 Degree City, a podcast where we talk to people who are working to make cities better. Our hope is that after each episode, you'll start to see your own city from a slightly different angle. In Canada, one in five people over the age of 15 have one or more disabilities. In some provinces, like Nova Scotia, 30% of adults have one or more disabilities. For many of these people, there are still countless barriers to accessing everyday needs and services. A barrier is anything that hinders or challenges people with disabilities from participating fully in society. This includes narrow door entrances or broken elevators, community events that lack aids for those with visual or auditory impairments, or generally a society that doesn't accept and include people of all abilities. We can make our communities more accessible for everyone. Across Canada, some provinces are creating policies and plans for accessible communities, particularly in Ontario, Manitoba, Nova Scotia, and soon in British Columbia. So how can we build on this momentum to ensure people of all abilities can thrive in our communities? To learn more, I sat down with someone who's leading the way in making communities more accessible. Hi, uh, my name is Darby Young. I am the founder of Level Playing Field, Inc. We are an accessibility consulting agency that works to make spaces accessible across North America. And we have projects coast to coast in Canada. And we look to make sure that all individuals, no matter their ability or disability, can have equal opportunities to community, to sporting events, to working to, you name it, uh, making sure it's a safe space for all. Throughout this episode, you'll hear from residents of the municipality of the County of Kings in Nova Scotia as they share their stories on the daily barriers that they face. Intelligent Futures and Level Playing Field are creating an accessibility plan for the municipality of the County of Kings and the villages of Aylesford, Canning, Cornwallis Square, Greenwood, Kingston, New Minnes, and Port Williams. Our team is heading to Nova Scotia next week with Darby and her crew to interview folks with disabilities, host community pop-up events, and have a workshop with members of their Joint Accessibility Advisory Committee. If you want to share your stories and ideas to improve accessibility in the municipality of the County of Kings and the Villages, listen through the end of the podcast to learn more. Uh, Okay, so when we talk about accessibility in our communities, that obviously can mean a lot of things, probably to a lot of different people. Um, you know, when you talk about accessibility, what, what, what do you really mean by that? Well, when I talk about accessibility, I always like to say, for starters, it's not just the wheelchair. As most people think when they think accessibility, they scream the manual wheelchair. When in all fact, um, every individual is actually temporarily able-bodied, whether uh, it's a skiing accident or you step off the curb or just of old age. Um, Everybody is considered a tab. So when we look at accessibility, we look at it uh, from all different angles. So from the physical side of things, from the vision side of things, from the hearing uh, to the invisible disabilities, but also those that are more specialized like autism and stuff like that to make sure that everyone has the equal opportunity. Hmm. And when, when you say the, the invisible disabilities, maybe could you expand on that to help people understand what some of those might be? So a lot of the times when, when we talk about invisible disabilities, um, it can be anything from somebody having, you know, hearing loss that they don't necessarily identify with, somebody who's dys- dyslexic uh, that can't necessarily read stuff. Um, they're, they're disabilities that aren't 
in the forefront where when you look at the person, you can actually identify with what they are. Even, even me as a person with cerebral palsy, a lot of the times I get mistaken for MS um, because I still semi-walk. I don't completely walk all the time, but I semi-walk. And so people think, well, that's just MS, not CP, because CP is known for the wheelchair and quite severe. Crystal from Coldbrook, Nova Scotia, shared some of the misperceptions she experiences in her day-to-day life. My name is Crystal McCormick, and I live in Coldbrook, Nova Scotia. For me, the biggest um, accessibility challenge that I face in my community is not necessarily how I enter a building, but rather how people perceive me once I am in that building. They look at me because I am physically challenged as though I am also emotionally and mentally challenged and they tend to talk down to me and make me feel like I'm not welcome or worthy. If people were more open and understanding that I am still a person, I have other appendages, if you will, uh, two, uh, two crutches, but I am me. I am a highly intelligent individual and I have a lot to offer. So don't look at me as though I am nothing. That really irritates me, and I think that we need to have a lot of education given to people who aren't familiar with people with physical uh, challenges. Hmm. Okay. And so when you, you know, you're all over North America, you're, you're coast to coast in Canada, we're working on some stuff in Nova Scotia together these days, um, you know, in your experience covering all kinds of communities, what are, what are some typical barriers that, that you'll see in your, in your, your travels in your work? Well, I would say like ultimately the biggest barrier we see is that the importance of accessibility isn't actually there Um, and that spaces are being designed or there's conversations and people like, yeah, yeah, it's, it's accessible when in all fact, it truly isn't. And then the biggest question is, People just don't understand the the necessities around accessibility and they see it as dollar signs instead of the inclusivity. So if a store has a step out front Mm -hmm. and you want to add a ramp and the store owner goes, well, no, we, we don't have anybody with disabilities coming in the store. Well, yeah, that's because nobody's been able to get in the store. So we, like, as a person with disability, I spend money. Everybody knows that. I love to shop. Um, And so when you've got a barrier and my legs aren't working that day and I can't get in, then I'm just going to bypass you and be like, well, they, they, I don't matter to them. So I'm going to go somewhere where I can. So the biggest thing for accessibility is, is the misunderstanding of it and that people see it as dollar signs and don't necessarily see it as a value to the community. Mm. And what are, what are some of the arguments you make in terms of um, trying to, trying to get people's mindsets to, to shift beyond the, the dollar sign? Well, the, the like the prime example I used about the storefront yeah. um, is, is a big one. And people kind of then stop and think about the clientele um, and who who it prevents. But it's the matter of just putting the person in that in their own place and being like, if I was you or you were me, 
how would you handle this situation or what would you do? And then sometimes a lot of that helps because then people stop and think and they're like, oh, I never thought about that. Or we show them different barriers and they, they think about it, but they're still we're still quite far away from getting to the point where people actually include accessibility and universal design and inclusion uh, across the board. At least down in the States, they're doing it because of the ADA. But up here in Canada, we don't necessarily have it right now. We've got the Accessible Canada's Act that rolled out in 2019, and we're definitely seeing a pickup in it. But I still think we're probably at least... I would be surprised, but I'm thinking 10 years before there's a full like inclusion aspect um, to where we don't have to push so hard to actually be included within the community and society. Mm, okay. And and the ADA that you uh, referred to is, uh, could you just share what that acronym means for, for those of, that are listening that don't know? Yeah, sorry. That's that's me and dropping acronyms. I do that often. Um, so the ADA is the Americans Disabilities Act, uh, which has been around probably about 31 years, if not 32 now. No, I think it's 31 in July. It was 31 in July. So down in the U.S., um, when they build any spaces, um, any built environments, and even festivals and, and amusement parks, even it's it's quite detailed um, on what has to be included for accessibility. Where in Canada, yes, Nova Scotia's got an Accessibility Act. Um, Ontario's got one. Uh, Manitoba's got one. We're starting to see more and more from the different provinces. But in order for those to be enforced, it's taking a lot. Like we've seen Ontario struggle. Um, it's in its 10th, well, actually more 11th or 12th year now. And it took 10 years for it to actually have teeth. So people were complaining that, yeah, we've got the AODA, which is the um, Ontario Disabilities Act. And it took 10 years for them to actually put some teeth behind it to hold people accountable mm. for not following it. Mm. And what is in this space, what is teeth, uh, what do teeth <laughs> look like uh, in terms of when you have legislation, that's one step, but then what do we, what do we do with it? So we'd want to make it enforceable. So if you design a building and you forget to make your entryways accessible, mm. um, then you're fined. Um, where, you know, in Ontario, if you didn't follow it, there was nobody really truly um, following up on it. Mm. So you weren't seeing the fines and there weren't the penalties for not complying to it. So that when I say teeth, that's what I mean is the fact that there was no weight to force people. You could say, oh, yeah, we've looked at it. But did you apply it? Well, no, because nobody's going to come knocking on my door to say I didn't. Alex spoke to us about some systemic accessibility barriers. Greetings, my name is Thomas Alexander LeBlanc. My friends call me Alex. I live in the Annapolis Valley, Nova Scotia. The area was formerly known as New Scotland and Acadia. I would like to acknowledge, acknowledge the land as Mi'kma'ki, as the natural and unceded territory of the Mi'kmaq people. A chair of power helps me through my day. The most damaging barriers I have faced in the community have been systemic and attitudinal. An attitudinal barrier is 
negativity projected from one person or group towards another based on their perceived ability slash disability when trying to access a service. Systemic barriers stem from outdated practices, conflicting laws, regulations, jurisdictions, and non-disclosure litigation settlements. These barriers are difficult to change because they require societal change. I feel I have experienced ableism in a number of ways. The denial of essential services has been particularly hurtful. Denial of access to emergency services is a serious issue for some. The example I chose to highlight is the Annapolis Valley Regional Hospital. There is one safety concern where the parking lot meets Exhibition Street. There is a 10-inch unmarked drop from the sidewalk to the street, and also the bus shelter at the same location does not have shelter for people in mobility devices or for strollers. What are some of the innovative solutions that you've seen? I mean, either in terms of, you know, let, let's talk the whole gambit and any, any, uh, any of the best solutions you've seen from the legislative right down to the specific design in a place. What are, what are some of the best solutions that you've come across uh, in your work? Well, we're definitely seeing a, a pickup in the architecture firms and, and the clientele who are now understanding the accessibility aspects and, and wanting to spend the money to include people. Mm-hmm. Uh, we've definitely seen a pickup in that, which is good. It's, it's a great starting point, but we're still forcing, you know, we're still forcing people to do it, which mm-hmm. is wrong. Um, because a prime example for, for something that we've been dealing with, or I've been dealing with right now is if you want to go and buy a car, John, you can walk into Ford and test drive a car and sign on the dotted line and leave. Mm-hmm. Um, for me to rent a car as a person with a disability, um, I can do that, but then I have to make modifications to my vehicle, uh, for me to use it. And for me to do that. Um, it takes a lot of work. And because when the car dealers make new cars, they also make changes to those cars. As we've seen, there's new body styles and all this coming out as time changes, which we expect and want to. But does the technology that I require, uh, like my scooter lift and stuff like that, actually change over time? And it's slower. I don't know why. And I'm having that argument right now. Yeah. But I can't go buy a new vehicle right now because the lift that I want to put in the vehicle isn't compatible. Mm. So I'm now, you know, so you can walk in and buy it. And right then and there, I have to go in, find a car, then go look and see, will the lift be compatible? Well, no, the lift's not compatible. It's not compatible with any 2021 models. Mm -hmm. Um, So what do I do? Well, now I have to wait for the manufacturer of the lift to bring it up to the 21s or go down a couple of years into a use. Like there's so many factors that, you know, I can't go buy office space um, for my team because or rent office space just like that, because we need to make sure there's accessible washrooms. Those don't exist. 
in buildings. And a lot of the times right now, especially in Calgary, um, where our downtown's quite empty and all the landlords are renovating, they're renovating, but they're doing cosmetic. So therefore, they don't actually have to bring it up to code to include the accessible washrooms, even though the buildings were built in the 80s. Oh, really? Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So there's that type of like, as a person with a disability, it's, it's difficult because we can't just go in and buy something and walk out. Mm-hmm. So many underlying factors, whether whether you've got a physical disability or hearing disability or invisible, um, everybody uses everything in a different way. And mm-hmm. sometimes, well, I would say 98% need modifications, whether you change your screen, you know, the, the brightness on your screen, or you have to wear glasses to dry, you know, like there's all these types of things that we keep forgetting that nobody's perfect. Kathleen graciously shared her experiences with her son in accessible washrooms. My name is Kathleen Purdy and I live in Canning. When I take my adult son who has an intellectual disability out into the community, one of the first things that I look for is public washrooms. And my son, when he needs to go to the washroom, it's usually urgent. So we need to know where they are. Preferable is a family washroom or a wheelchair accessible washroom because he needs help um, to pull up his pants, to adjust his clothes, etc. Um, I've been in uh, places where there's a male washrooms and female washrooms, each with uh, several stalls. I have to decide, well, am I going to send him into the male washroom and just wait in the hallway for him to come out and help him adjust his clothing? Or am I going to take him into the women's washroom? Recently, I saw a wheelchair-accessible porta potty which was great. Um, also recently, I was in another community where there were a lot of tourists, and this was uh, outside, and there were quite a few signs on buildings and so on that said, no public washroom uh, available. And I just thought, wow, that's interesting, because there were no signs that said washrooms available. So it would be really great if there were more and very visible public washrooms for people with all abilities. It's got to be exhausting <laughs> to, to, ha- for, to, to have to navigate every single thing that so many people, you know, too many people take for granted. Um, yeah. So, I mean, yeah. Yeah. So thank goodness you're doing this work. <laughs> I'm trying. I'm trying. It's definitely, you know, it's 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 hard when you've got architects or space owners that are like, well, yeah, we we work with the architects and they do it to code. Well, but building anything to code, especially nowadays, is 30 years behind how we live. So if we're building something that's 30 years behind how we live right now, what's it going to be like in 20 years from now, let alone five? Like, (laughs) like, why aren't we thinking everybody's so tied to dollars and everything is so tied to this building code, whether wherever you are, but it's like, how about we stop and think actually how people in general, even you use the space, Mm -hmm. what do you need in order to 
move around? What do you need to go to work every day? What, like, if you want to go to the park, you know, all those types of things, like, why don't we just actually stop and think about how people use the space? And then the biggest, one of the biggest areas we're missing is we worry about how we get everybody in somewhere and we forget if we've got emergencies and we have to get everybody out what Mm -hmm. that looks like. Yes. We talk about egress for sure on code, but everybody forgets that when we've got 20,000 people in an arena and if we have a bomb threat and we have to evacuate, what does that look like for 20,000 people? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Able-bodied or not, like, temporarily able-bodied or disabled, what does that look like? So could you maybe, because it really does seem that there's, um, you know, the, the precursor to effective action is a mindset, a level of awareness. Could you, could you maybe walk us through, uh, you know, how you get uh, your collaborators, your clients, your communities, um, you know, what, what are some of the key things that you found are successful to get people's awareness uh, to the, to, to a productive level or make some progress in that direction? I think the biggest thing we found is the collaboration. Mm -hmm. So once sort of somebody hangs out with me or, or they work with us on a, on a project or even just spend a couple hours with with me or my team or, or doing something, you start to see it and you understand um, what's actually transpiring within our country and, and within North America and how, how different people are versus what, what our society is. And that sort of then awakens people to have further conversations and think about how we how we design spaces and so forth. Mm-hmm. Is are are there particular uh, you know like I to that point uh, you know a colleague a shared colleague of ours as he has has learned and worked with you he mentioned as he's learned from you there's things that you just can't unsee <laughs> once once you once you see it which in the best way possible right um, so are are there you know any any anecdotes or stories about about people seeing things and and kind of their reflection and how it's changed their their practice. Oh, most definitely. Um, I now get certain texts from certain people when they see stuff and I get a damn it Darby text <laughs> or something because after they've spent time with me, they're like, I can't, I can't unsee this. And like, so everywhere I go, it's like, Oh, look at this. Can you deal with this? Can you deal with, like, why, why is this? <laughs> like, so it, it does, it, it resonates. And the, the sad part is, is that, when we don't, um, when we have to think about things, we we miss out on certain opportunities. So the more we can spend being collaborative and include everybody on projects, the better it is for everyone. Versus, oh, I'm an expert in this. Well, no. Some of some of the architecture firms who we work with are are the major ones, major players. And they're like, we're not experts in everything. So we bring in our subject matter experts and then we can look at the project and we can be like, well, what's the intent of this? And it's like, oh yeah, you're right. From that point of view, that doesn't make sense. Well, no, it doesn't. So it's trying to have that sort of conversation, but yeah, once somebody sort of, 
stays with us once or works with us once, they usually turn around and keep coming back um, mm-hmm. because, yeah, they can't turn it off. Like, John, <laughs> uh, when we when we're going to be in Halifax here in a week or so, um, you're, you're going to learn um, definitely what it's like for me to get around and how difficult it is. And, and anytime I have to go somewhere, I know um, my staffer was looking into hotels and stuff. It's not just about calling up the hotel and being like, well, do you have an accessible room? It's about, well, what's in that accessible room? Yeah. You know, what <laughs> are there grab bars? Are there not? Like, is there, you know, it's the finer details that people don't realize that they need to ask for or don't know because they haven't lived it. So using the lived experience examples of being there in real life or or the videos has made a definite impact. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the, there's a uh, a prior guest uh, on the podcast, Robin Mazumder, he, I saw in an article, he wrote this, this line of the dignity lies in the details. And I think mm-hmm. that that's, that's a really, you know, helpful way to capture, um, you know, what's, what, uh, you know, there's, there's all these big picture things, but it's down to the lived experience of folks and, and how it can, it can be as, uh, as uh, easy and dignified and normal as possible for folks. Well, and like another prime example, which is actually kind of hilarious, is we were going for a project interview because uh, we've been on a project with a with a prime architect, and we had to meet city council um, to give our presentation. Mm-hmm. So we notified them that I was coming, and as a person with a disability, we said, "Can I get in?" And it's like, "Oh, no." So we had to change the location from council chambers to the fire hall of all places. And then when I got to the fire hall, I had to park like in the parking lot where everybody is out back, go through the back door, go all the way through the fire hall, out the front door, down the sidewalk, up the ramp and into the side building. While everybody else just walked in the back door and up three stairs and in. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and it was kind of like everybody was like, what? <laughs> and on top of that, it was pouring rain, too, which made that adventure outside. So, you know, for for a city or a town, well, it's a city because it's got 10,000 people in it, um, for the city to sort of have to move to the fire hall, that was eye-opening. And then when we get to the fire hall and they see how much work it was for me to just get in to have that presentation, I think it was eye-opening that, of course, we ended up winning the project. And I thought <laughs> there's no way we wouldn't after, yeah. Yeah. after this episode. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's it's the mentality of their stairs. So what? Big deal. Mm-hmm. Well, those those stairs can prevent a lot of people. If you break an ankle and you're on crutches, stairs aren't that fun. Yeah. You know, so there's all those different factors. Yeah, for sure. For sure. So you videotaped your journey in and showed it and then just said, any questions? <laughs> oh, they, they were there because the project manager had to actually walk me around the building. And he's like, oh, maybe this isn't so, such a good idea. Yeah. Like, really? <laughs> like, yeah. Yeah, think. <laughs> but hey, does this mean we won the project? I think so. <laughs> yeah, let's let's get to work. Yeah. Uh, so for for folks that are wanting to um, 
start making, making these positive changes, what, where, where can people get started? You know, if, if, if they've, they've heard this conversation and they want to, um, get to work, start helping any, any suggestions for even where to begin? Have the conversations. Don't be afraid to have the conversations and reach out to ask what that looks like. Mm -hmm. Um, because we can set up, um, we can, we can talk with everybody, walk them through strategies, set up game plans for how they move forward, um, with accessibility and what that looks like so that it's also not done as a piecemeal because that's even worse. Um, when it's like, okay, well, you know, for federally regulated, we have to start reporting. So, okay, well, well, what does that, let's do this part and then let's do this part. And it's like, no, no, hold on a second. Let's actually think about this first and set up a strategy and then know exactly what our milestones and game plan are. Because as soon as you start just being like, okay, let's do this or let's do that or whatever, you end up forgetting certain items. And then it ends up being a rush portion, which nobody likes to see because then it's an afterthought. And that's definitely what we want to get away from. We want people, no matter what you're working on, what type of space or document or policy or anything is to make sure that you feel warm, like that it's not an afterthought and that everybody's included um, in each and every way. Mm -hmm. Okay, great. That's re- that's really that's really helpful, and I, I think just the the encouragement to have the conversation to, I mean that's that's the starting point. But people can be unsure, intimidated, so just to get on with it. With it. There's <laughs> there's no dumb like there's no dumb question. You know, as people are like, oh, this is a dumb. No, no, this is this is something that is new to people. Some people are also very. Scared to ask about it or talk about it because they don't necessarily know how to approach it without, um, you know, making somebody feel uncomfortable. But it's all a matter of let's reach out. So if you're unsure, you're unsure how to ask the questions, just be like, hey, I'm really not sure how to handle this. How do we do this? And we, we can walk them through the way. Yeah, for sure. Okay, that's great. Uh, okay, now we've had, I don't know, 75, 80 guests on the, in the history of the podcast, but you're the first that has her own shoe line. <laughs> uh, so I have to ask, uh, so can, can you share the story about, uh, the Darby shoe? <laughs> sure. Um, I'm, uh, well, as my mom always said, and I've always said too, is when I walk, I walk with character um, because my gait is not normal. So people always stare or they try to make fun of me. So I've always been one to buy really funky shoes um, because you know what? If people are going to stare, I might as well look good doing it. Um, so I fell in love with Fluog, um about... Uh, eight years ago, eight, nine years ago, when one of my really good friends is a big uh, vlogger, as we call him, he's got like 14 pairs. Um, And I'm like, well, I need a pair for a party coming up since I'm going with you. Might as well. And so I ended up wearing out um, my first pair of flu box, which were so comfy. Um, We're awesome because of how my gait is. I dragged my toe. And then we 
went to Flubog and back to Flubog and I'm like, Hey guys, I really love these shoes, but I've worn the toe out. How can we fix these? Like, is there a way that we can add more stuff to them? Like there's gotta be a way, like, come on, everything can be done. And so they came back to me saying, um, we can't because of the style of the shoe. Um, but how about we make your, make you your own shoe line? Okay, what? Huh? What? <laughs> They're like, we can, we can make you a shoe and then we'll just call it the Darby. And I was just like, okay. <laughs> like in shock and awe. Cause of course, you know, John Flubog is a world renowned as yeah. much as the Canadian designer. He's world renowned. The, the Darby shoes are across the world. So I've seen them in Australia and so on from people and yeah, we, we rolled out with two colors. They were so popular. Um, the original two were so popular that they came out with another two to make it four. And then they were so popular again, we're now up to six. Oh, um, and so I've got six colors uh, right now of the Darby shoe. Not sure what's going to happen uh, this fall slash winter. I guess we will see um if they release another color but they're on demand and the thing with flubog is because they only make a certain amount um that when the demand is super high then they run a second uh a second round mm -hmm. so the more the demand the more shoes they make um so that's how we ended up with the other colors because everybody loves them and of course they love the story behind it and um, Global News actually won an international award for the documentary they did, uh, the interview they did about it as well. So um, it's it's been coast to coast as well. It was on Global National. <laughs> and uh, yeah, it's I, it's been great for Fulwag. It's been great for um, myself and Level Playing Field because everybody seems to read the story and understand the importance. So it's gotten more and more people to talk about accessibility and persons with disabilities and yeah. understanding that we need modifications to simple things like shoes that a lot of people don't understand. And as we've seen, Nike's now done it with the fly Z's and, right. and some of that. So it's, it's trending in the, in the right way. Cause same thing like you can go to a shoe store and buy a pair of shoes for me to go to a shoe store and buy a pair of shoes <laughs> takes a couple hours yeah yeah right right mm -hmm. oh that's amazing and plus now when i uh when my kid asked me what i did today at work i can say yeah, i talked to a shoe mogul <laughs> <laughs> okay so so the last uh, last question uh is one that we ask uh, every guest uh, can you tell us a city that you love and why you love it? A city that I love. Well, ultimately, um, of course, I'm a born and raised Calgarian, so yeah. I love my home. I love my hometown. Yeah. Um, but I would probably say, if I could live anywhere in the world, it would actually be back in Stockholm, Sweden. Oh. Um, I was there for three and a half weeks. Uh, with our world championship hockey team, because one of my side gigs is uh, team services in the hockey world. Hmm. And uh, I got to go to Sweden for three and a half weeks in 2013. And I never, I have never felt so welcome um, and safe 
in a foreign country or in a, in a city before where there was no real barriers. And when there was, people were extremely helpful instead of just standing there staring at you like, well, what is this about? <laughs> um, it, it was it was enjoyable. Mm. Um, so I've always said to my my team that if we could, we'd open a, a Sweden office. But most definitely, um, I love I love my Calgary. Um, I love I love our people here. I, I don't love some of our buildings, and those that know me know those. <laughs> but uh, yeah. Okay. Terrific. Thanks so much to Darby, Alex, Crystal, and Kathleen for sharing their stories and insights about accessibility in the places where they live and work. We all need to pay attention to how our work contributes or takes away access for all people, including those with disabilities. And as we become more aware of accessibility barriers, there's so much opportunity for us to rebuild our communities and cities in a just way that improves life for all. If you're listening to this episode from the municipality of the County of Kings or the villages of Aylesford, Canning, Cornwallis Square, Greenwood, Kingston, New Minnes, and Port Williams, check out the municipality's website to share your stories. We have an online survey out right now, as well as a print survey that you can find at your local library or village office. And if you'd like to talk to us in person, we'll be hosting a series of pop-up events from October 24th to 27th throughout the municipality. Learn more at countyofkings.ca slash accessibility or by emailing accessibility at countyofkings.ca. Thanks for listening. 360 Degree City is created by our team at Intelligent Futures. To learn more about the work we do, go to intelligentfutures.ca. I'm John Lewis. Thanks for stopping by.